Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Jack Daly, the author of his new book, Life by Design. So Jack, thank you for being on the show again. It's a pleasure to be invited once. Second time is the uh, cherry on top of the Sunday. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. So, so I, I definitely want to ask you about your new book, which your 10th book, which is amazing. I mean, I have one book and it was, you know, such a process, but you have 10. But I also am excited to, to ask you some sales questions as well. Yeah, well, you know what? There is a big difference between you and me, and that's the number of years. <laughs> so, so you've got plenty of time. Oh, I mean, you're useful as as always. So, it's, you know, I, sometimes I just can't tell the difference. Let's do it this way. I did ten books in twenty five years. Yeah. All right. So, how old are you? I'm um, turning forty five. Okay, so forty five and twenty five would be seventy. I'm older than that. So you're good. <laughs> I got, I got, I'm on the hook for ten, 10 books, I guess. <laughs> you brought it. You brought it up. So we go there. There you go. Accountability. So going back, you know, your, your background, you know, is sales and you, you branched out to personal development and life, which is exciting. My question is, you've grown out organizations or manage organizations that have thousands of salespeople. And my thought is, I'm always curious about the transitions. Like, for instance, you have one team, maybe maybe it has five people, 10 people, I don't know. But when you go from that to more people and, and how it scales, what are kind of your thoughts going through the transitions in terms of, you know, leadership and how you sort of break teams up and, and how to keep things cohesive through those you know, transitions from a smaller team to a larger team? Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that. It's a great question. I'm going to answer the question in a very unusual way. So I have a client who has a painting business and they paint the inside of homes and their special sauce is that they will paint your entire inside of your home. Doesn't matter how big it is in less than 24 hours. And when people first hear that, it's like, well, I don't understand how you can do that because the rest of the painters take weeks to do that. And the tarps are all over and it's a very, you know, it's unpleasant living environment while this house is getting painted. And so the answer they give is, well, if I told you I could paint your dining room in a day, would you say that that was doable? And they said, yes. And he says, well, I, I, that would take me two guys. So I'll put two guys in a dining room. I'll put two guys in the living room. I'll put three up in the bedrooms. I'll put, and, and I only ask, is your family move out for the night, stay in a hotel, and when you come back tomorrow, it's all going to be finished? Well, that's sort of a good analogy for the question you ask. ask. If you've got seven salespeople and you've got a leader that's leading those seven salespeople, you want to build another unit, well, hire another sales manager and build that unit out. 
Now, the, the where we get consistency is, and you know this from the last time we talked, I'm a big proponent of systems and processes anchored in something I call a sales playbook. So if we have the best practices detailed out in the sales playbook, then the new unit should be mirroring the first unit. And so we can scale very quickly. I am evidence of that. I live in Southern California, but I was raised and grew up and built some businesses headquartered in the East Coast in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. In 1985, I moved to Southern California for the weather. And I brought three people with me and the four of us started building the company. 18 months later, the company organically, no acquisitions, grew to 750 employees in 18 months. And in our first three years, we made $42 million in earnings. There were 22 locations, but the heavy lifting took place in the first location because we had to perfect the model, build the playbook. Then we just picked 20 other cities, gave them the playbook, hire the people, and off we went. Think about it the way franchise organizations grow. They open up stores every day with a consistency, but they're operating from best practices anchored in systems and processes. Yes. And that leads me to my next question. You just opened it up. What are some general categories that you commonly have in this playbook? So I'm going to look at the playbook as if it were two parts. One part is the sales management side, and one part is the sales side. So on the sales management side, those component parts, assessing your current team, do you have the right people on the team? That's where we have to start because we have a bad foundation. The building won't stay erect, right? Then it's about recruiting. Do you have a process for recruiting? Do you have a list of recruits? Do you have a courting process? touching them on a regular ongoing basis? Do you have a profile? So all of that is in the, in the playbook on sales management, on the recruiting side, training side, coaching side, because that's what sales management is all about, growing your sales force in quantity and quality. Now, that's the sales playbook for the sales management side of the house. On the sales side of the house, it's what are the processes that a salesperson uses to be effective out there? So now we're talking about we're talking about goals in writing. We're talking about high payoff activities. And, and by the way, attached 50% or more of a salesperson's time is typically spent on things that don't generate business. So you could effectively double your sales without adding another salesperson if you got rid of a bunch of that stuff they're doing. And then we're talking about a proactive pipeline management. We're talking about a touch system. We're talking about the processes that have been proven over time to generate business. So all of that gets detailed out in the playbook as well on the sales side of the house. Wow, that answered my question. Thank you. Of course. Now, let's segue to your book. What is different about this book that you wrote, you know, Life by Design? So uh, here it is. So Jack Daly's Life by Design, this is a book that I have been planning to write for quite some time. All my other books previously were business related, how to generate business, how to run a business, how to grow a business. This is how to have a life, how to, how to have an exceptional life. So I was really blessed. 
Um, at 13 years old, I had the opportunity to interview 50 successful people. And I had a series of questions they asked them. And basically, they were all about how could I, as a 13-year-old, craft my way into being successful like they were. And one of the common themes that I heard amongst the many of them were, you got to have goals. Don't pick too many. Have a date when you're going to get them done or some evidence of them getting finished. Um, and share them with other people. So I picked four goals at 13 years old. I picked a date when I was going to finish them when I was old, like 30, <laughs> because at 13, that's 30 seems long, far away, right? Now, I will tell you at 73, 30 seems far away again. But here's the thing. I picked what was I going to look like at 30 financially? What was my net worth going to be? What was my annual income going to be? Then the second thing was professional. What am I going to look like professionally? And what I said I wanted to look like at 30 was the CEO of a company, national in size, in the money business. Then the third goal was what did I want to look like education-wise? And I had some markers. And then what did I want my family to look like? Am I going to be married, single, kids, that type of thing? Once I understood what the end zone was, once I painted that picture, then all I needed to do was figure out what do I need to do between 13 and 30 and block it down year by year by year. So if you went to my website at jackdailysales.com, I post my annual goals for the world to see, right? Well, if you were to look at those goals, they're extensive, they're deep, they're ambitious. And by the way, that's my 60th annual version. I have been doing this ever since I was 13. And so this book is a, an evidence of my journey and it provides the templates that I've used over that journey. And it shows the templates filled in on my personal life as I use them from year to year to year. The appendix in here, Tats, is over 100 pages, just the appendix. And uh, we put a website up called Jack Daly's Life by Design with an S, Jack Daly's Life by Design. And the entire appendix is up on the website for people to just download the whole thing. So you don't even need to buy the book unless you want to listen to all the stories. I'm being told that it, they're, they're fun listening to stories. They're, they're inspiring. They're um, motivational, that type of thing. But we just want people to take their life and up it. Just have a better time in life. We're, we're only here on the planet once. That's my belief. So let's, let's make it as good as we can make it, right? Yeah. So you have all these templates, which ones kind of commonly come up or draw the most interest out of the, the lot that you have? Yeah. So, you know, that's a really good question. I think that the, the one that gets the most attention is the annual uh, goal setting process. But, uh, but, I would, but I would caution people, you shortchange yourself by starting three quarters of the way down the templates. Um, the, the first template is trying to figure out what your values are personally, because I don't know that you can do an adequate job of figuring out your goals if, if they're not congruent with your values. Yep. So uh, I'll give you a very tangible example. I was 34 years old and was two steps removed from the chairmanship of a Fortune 200 company. So I was a fair-haired rising star. Um, then an outside corporate raider came in and swallowed up the whole Fortune 200 company, and he was a bad guy. 
like really bad guy. He's passed away now. But if you were to look up Victor Posner and do a search, you would find a really bad guy. We're talking about guns and drugs and all kinds of things. Well, he interviewed me for six hours as a part of the acquisition and said, I like you, kid. And I want you to run a substantial portion of my empire. And I was set financially if I chose to do that. All I had to do was just pretend that all that bad stuff wasn't going on. And it was the pinnacle of my career. And yet I resigned because it wasn't congruent with my values. And, you know, I, I wasn't happy about it. I felt like he ripped me out of, of my career. I was unemployed and I, I had this incredible offer. But now on reflection, I look and say, I would never have written these books. I wouldn't have traveled the world and influenced the people I have. I wouldn't have built those six companies after leaving him. I had an incredible journey. It would have been difficult to work in that environment that was not congruent with my values. So I think you got to start with, the, what, what, what do you value the most? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I like that. I mean, what... You, you went from working in large organizations to now, you know, liking compact, right, organizations, and you, you have a very, very focused lifestyle business, if I can call it that. Was it like a, that natural sort of preference that happened right away, or did you kind of lead into that? Oh, man, that, that one is big to unpack. Uh, so, so I enjoyed my entrepreneurial journey. I, I want to be clear on that. It was fun to take a blank sheet of paper and sketch a business. And then it was fun to actually make it come into reality. But I will also tell you, um, it's hard. It is hard to build and run a business. And, and it's really hard in the first few years. Uh, you know, the guys that come in and take over a company at the leadership level after it's been going for three or four years, I mean, they have a big job, but it's not what it is at that startup phase, right? Well, then if you scale it and you get to thousands of people, you're back into, man, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and, and by the time I hit 46, your age, I, I pretty much said, you know what? Been there, done that. I just don't want the stress anymore. And I didn't have an intention to do what I'm doing now. What I said was, I'm going to take a year off and figure out what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden, people got the word that Jack was not doing anything. <laughs> so they, they started calling me and saying, could you speak to our company? Could you speak to our trade group? Could you speak to our association? And I started going out and speaking. And I'd come home and my wife said, Gosh, you haven't been this happy in a long time. And I said, yeah, I think I found my passion. And that's where I've been for the last 25 years. And you are correct. It is a lifestyle business. I could have a business with hundreds of speakers, trainers, and coaches. But I have no, no employees. It's just Jack and a few assistants. And they work out of their homes and do different things. And I rarely see them. I go when I where I go where I want when I want I only work as much as I want to work and it's a beautiful life but I'm making an impact on so many lives whether it's a client that I did a podcast for 2 days ago who when I met him his company was worth 100 million dollars so pretty substantial publicly traded today 12 years later is worth 
$4 billion, right? Or, you know, my client in New York City that in the Forbes list of 75 top women entrepreneurs, she's ranked in her personal net worth at more than Ellen DeGeneres. But when I met her, she was a $4 million company with seven salespeople. Or I take the sales guy that I met making $80,000 a year, who now makes $500,000 to a million a year, following the systems and processes. Or I take, and this guy, I, I tell his story in the book, he was in his late 20s, and he came up to me after a day of, of, of me speaking, and he said, you've inspired me, I'm going to do a triathlete, I'm going to do a triathlon, and I'd like you to do it with me. And I thought, you know, this is another guy that's kind of hyped up, but won't do it. And lo and behold, he goes on social media and bought my bike and hired a coach. And the reason I didn't think he was going to do it is this 28-year-old guy was over 400 pounds. Today, he's done several marathons and runs about 210 pounds. His parents took me to dinner and said, Jack, we believe you saved our son's life. So those are the things that turn me on. When people say, how long are you going to keep doing this? And I'm like, well, as long as I have stories that I can make like that, why would I ever stop, right? Absolutely. And I know last time we talked, you had a golf passion about, you know, a list of courses that you're, you were uh, going to do. How is that progress coming? Yeah, so I've been stuck at 95. I'm playing the top 100 golf courses of the U.S. I've been stuck at 95. I ended up severing my quad tendon. So I was in in operation and a brace and those types of things. Three months after that, I was diagnosed with malignant melanoma stage three. And they took the top of my head off about the size of the palm of my hand. And I'm still currently in a chemo treatment program. And then on top of both of those was the pandemic. So you weren't able to travel and get out and all the rest of that. So my cancer thing is doing really well. I'm completely healed from my uh, from my severed quad tendon. I did five marathons last year, and the pandemic is starting to lift. So hopefully, I can get those five here in the next twelve months. Absolutely. Did you? I mean, obviously, those are very difficult things that alter alter your your life. Did you have to do anything different to think about this, or is this just um, you know your routines keep you in in line? Yeah. The, so the routines keep you in line, but uh, but. Let's go back to the very first question or close to the first question, and that is what prompts me to do this, right? I always wanted to leave a legacy. I wanted wanted the things that I've I've done that have been successful in my personal life not to, to go away when I go away, right? And then when the pandemic hit, we got into lockdown. And then a month after that, I get diagnosed with malignant melanoma. And four years before that, my wife passed away from uh, pancreatic cancer. I, I said, I have time now because I'm in lockdown to write a book. What better time to write it now? Because who knows what's going to go on with me? It, it's pretty serious stuff. Every six weeks, I go in to have an infusion at the cancer center. And the bag of juice that they're putting in me is about that big. Mm-hmm. And I get the bill for it. And that just that bag, not the doctors or hospital or anything, just a bag of Keytruda is $60,000 every six weeks. So when you hear that, you realize 
this is pretty serious stuff. <laughs> so we better pay attention to it. So my doctors are marveling at my ability to run marathons still. And I'm still doing exercise of about two to three hours a day, but it's not at the intensity level that it once was. I'm slower on the bike, I'm slower on the run, but at least I'm out there. My doctors are telling me that of all the cancer patients that they're treating, I'm in the top 1%, right? But I have altered my behavior a bit, sure. Yeah, so you talk about legacy. A hundred years from now, what do you want people to be saying about Jack Daly? I want people to be recommending this book a hundred years from now. I want them to say, I followed this book and this is what happened in my life. The first 30 pages of this are all testimonials of people that their life was positively impacted by following the processes that are in this book. The book just wasn't written. They came to me in different forms and said, gosh, I'm envious of your life. Can you help me lead a similar life based on my values, based on what I think is success? And so testimonial after testimonial, people that said, get this book, it works. <laughs> and quite frankly, it's, it's nothing that difficult. It's just carving the time out. It's sad. Too many people are just working to get a paycheck, to pay bills, to go work again, get a paycheck and pay bills. And then they squeeze a week or two weeks for themselves to have fun with their family and vacation. Life can be much more than that. Much, much more than that. Essentially looking forward to each day. Yeah. And the other thing that I would tell you, since I'm, I spend my, my days and hours with, with uh, business people, too many business people are running successful businesses. But then when you peel the curtain back, their personal life is not very pleasant not very exciting. And so we, we've got, you know, broken marriages and no relationships with the kids and, and poor health and not, and not keeping fit. None of that is necessary. My doctors said when I was 69 years old, they said, we've given you every test that we can think of. You're the equivalent of a 38 year old man. And my kids are 42 and 50 right now. I'm like, what? You can't, you can't keep up with me. <laughs> but I've lived a life of intention. And so I didn't, I'm not in good shape and healthy because of an accident. I'm in good shape and healthy because I lived my life intentionally. I made those intentional decisions. Yeah, for sure. Now, I see this question that was posed here. It's just uh, curious to me. You have this question to say, how do you handle not getting things done? which is kind of interesting to me. So can you, can you walk me through that? Yeah, sure, I can. And, and I will also tell you that, that I raised a bunch of questions in the book that are similar to that. Um, and, and so the first thing I can tell you is that I can't remember ever accomplishing all of what I set out to do on any year. What I can say is that I'm probably in the 90 percentile each year. but the chapter in the book is called Life Happens. And there's not much that you can do about it. You know, I wanted to run five marathons in the year of the pandemic and I severed my quad tendon. Well, I got benched that year. I couldn't physically run them and the pandemic hit and they weren't holding marathons. But if I ran those five and that was in my goals on the first of the year, it would have taken me to a hundred. 
and I would have run a marathon in all 50 states and all seven continents. Well, I had to wait. And so I waited till the following year. And in, in November, last, this past November, here is my, here's my finisher medal from my 100th marathon, which was in Athens, Greece. And I ran the original marathon. And it was my fifth of the year. And so it was a year late. So how do you handle it? I just say, focus on that which you have control of. I don't have control over a pandemic. I don't have control over races being canceled, and I don't have control over a severed quad tendon. All I can do is say, okay, what do I need to do to get back healthy with my leg? And how do I stay in the game? And then we have to shift. We have to shift and navigate through when life throws you a ringer, right? So, so let me give you a business example. 2019, as a speaker, I logged 250,000 air miles that year and was and spoken over 30 countries. The pandemic hit in March for lockdown. In March of 2000, and I said, I think this thing, this pandemic is going to be with us for at least two or three years. So now my public won't have access to my systems processes, and they'll need them more now than ever. And so, how do I do that? And uh, and so I built a studio in my home. I hired a bunch of experts. I bought the best equipment, cameras, lighting, and all that, 80-inch monitor. It's completely, a whole room in my house is now a virtual studio. And in June of 2000, three months after the lockdown, I ended up setting a Guinness World Record for the largest virtual business program ever of 21,261 people. Wow. So you you shift, you navigate, you focus on that which you have control over. By the way, I have five grandkids and two of them are 13 and 10 years old. And I've done some pretty cool stuff in my life, like running these marathons and doing Ironmans and that type of thing. None of it impressed them until I set a Guinness world record. Then they went to school <laughs> and they said, my grandpa Jack is a Guinness world record holder. So, and, uh, and it wasn't even all my goals. That's just, it just so happened. Wonderful. That's perfect. Thank you for that. Um, is there anything that I didn't cover uh, related to your book that uh, you want to share? I'll tell you one thing. Most people that will tune in here will know the name Simon Sinek, the author of Start With Why. Yep. And, and so I put Simon right on the top of my cover of my book. And I just want to share with you what he said. Thank God Jack Daly exists. For decades, we hired Jack to teach us how to sell better. Yet all the while, what he was actually teaching us was how to be better human beings. Mm, I like that. At the end of the day, I don't want people to remark about me building six companies. I want my friends and family and business associates to talk about how exceptional a life I led by intention and how my example helped them to take the blinders off and they ended up doing some really cool stuff. So my best friend who we met in kindergarten, never did he believe that he would run a marathon and he has several. Never did he believe that he would hike in to Machu Picchu on the Inca Trail, but he did. Never did he think 
that he would go to China and run on the Great Wall of China. And he did, right? And Rick wrote the foreword for my book saying, I don't know that I do any of this stuff without the example, the inspiration, right? So that's the thing that's most important to me, that the people uncork what's holding them back from doing some really, really cool stuff. And by the way, nobody needs to run a marathon. Nobody needs to do an Ironman. Nobody needs to do any of the stuff that I tell in the book that I did. All I want people to do is sit back and reflect and say, what is success to me? What is success to me? I tell the story of my caddy at Pebble Beach comparing himself to the head of a Fortune 200 company as to who had a more successful life. And when the reader reads it, they're going to come, I think, under the basis of the caddy. The caddy is more successful. (laughs) And just the way the story plays out, it's just terrific. Uh, I'd also mention that the uh, book is in audio form and uh, and I'm the voice. So it's uh, we didn't hire somebody to do the voice. So the people that are, I'm getting early feedback on the audio say, we can hear and feel your, your authenticity and your energy and your excitement. So that's kind of cool. Wonderful. Well, you doing your own audio on your audio book is, you know, kind of with your values is leading by example. So Jack, thank you. Very, very uh, cool that you came back and I'm excited of all the other things you're going to be doing going forward. Me too. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.